Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode 240, Ivan Bunin, Russia's first Nobel Prize winner in literature. Last time, we covered the development of literature in Russia. Today, we continue in the same genre by talking about one of the greatest authors in Russian history, Ivan Bunin. And this is a part of a three-part series where next week we'll be talking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn and finally Maxim Gorky. My sources include Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History by Orlando Figes, and Bunin's own words from the biography he wrote for his Nobel Prize about his early life. Here is the quote from Bunin found at NobelPrize.org. I come from an old and noble house that has given to Russia a good many illustrious persons in politics as well as in the arts, among whom two poets of the early 19th century stand out in particular, Anna Bunina and Vasily Zhukovsky, one of the greatest names in Russian literature, the son of Athanas Bunin and the Turk Salma. All my ancestors had close ties with the soil and the people. They were country gentlemen. My parents were no exception. They owned estates in central Russia and those fertile steppes in which the ancient Muscovite czars had settled colonists from all over the country for their protection against Tatar invasions from the south. That is why in that region there developed the richest of all Russian dialects and almost all of our great writers, from Turgenev to Leo Tolstoy, have come from there. I was born in Voronezh, in 1870. My childhood and youth were spent almost entirely in the country on my father's estates. During my adolescence, the death of my little sister caused a violent religious crisis, but it left no permanent scars on my soul. I had a passion for painting, which, I think, shows in my writings. I wrote both poetry and prose fairly early, and my works were also published from an early date. Ivan Alexeyevich Bunin was the son of Alexei Nikolaevich Bunin and Ludmila Alexandrovna Chubovra. He had two younger sisters, Masha and Nadia, the latter being the one who passed away at a young age. Ivan also had two older brothers, Yuli and Yevgeny. His family was traceable back in history, as Ivan puts it, quote, The Bunins are direct ancestors of Simeon Bunkowski, a nobleman who came from Poland to the court of the great prince Vasily Vasilievich. For his mother's side, the Chubarovs, Ivan wrote that they, quote, knew very little about themselves except that their ancestors were landowners in Kostromskaya, Moskovskaya, Orlovskaya, and Tabovskaya Gubernies. As for me, from early childhood, I was such a libertine as to be totally indifferent both to my own high blood and to the loss of whatever might have been connected to it. While his family was of noble blood, they were not well off. They were part of a growing class of impoverished landowners. This was quite common after the freeing of the serfs in Russia. While I found no evidence that the Bunins owned any serfs, it is highly likely that they did at one point or another. Owning serfs was not always profitable, as their upkeep was usually quite expensive, especially if your land holdings were moderate or small. 
On his life on the farm, Boonin would write, quote, There, amidst the deep silence of vast fields, among cornfields, or, in winter, huge snowdrifts, which were stepping up to our very doorsteps. I spent my childhood, which was full of melancholy poetry. As you can already see, his writing is of fantastic color and depth, and I'll obviously share a lot more of his quotes. Boonin's family was quite close, and his father instilled in the young Ivan a sense of the great importance of education, but not in any specific field, but in the broadness of a well-rounded education. This wasn't without some issues with the father. He had fought in the Crimean War, which caused him to suffer PTSD, although that obviously wasn't in the lexicon back then. As Boonin describes his father, quote, Before the Crimean War, he'd never known the taste of wine. On return, he became a heavy drinker, although never a typical alcoholic. Ivan's father spent an extensive amount of time in Warsaw, Poland, which exposed him to a lot of Western ideas. In addition, Ivan's mother, Ludmila, would teach him about native Russian culture, and especially Russian folklore. While his brothers were interested in mathematics and painting, Vanya, as Ivan was called, was very different. According to his mother, quote, Vanya has been different from the moment of birth. None of the others had a soul like his. What also made him unique was his perspective and surroundings. As he describes himself, quote, The quality of my vision was such that I've seen all seven of the stars of the Pleiades, heard a marmot's whistle a verst away, and could get drunk from the smells of land or an old book. As Ivan was growing up, his father became addicted to gambling. By the early 1880s, they would lose what little they had. Ivan was sent to public school for the first time when he was 11. Previously, he was taught by several tutors. In 1886, at the age of 16, Ivan was expelled from school due to his not returning after the Christmas break. His burden of work at the farm made it impossible to go to school and support his family. Regardless of Ivan's hardships, they didn't stop his keen mind from writing. He would publish his first poem, Village Paupers, in 1887 in the St. Petersburg literary magazine, Rodina, or Motherland. Boonin would have his first short story published, Country Sketch, in the Nikolai Mikhailovsky-edited journal, Roskoyo Bogatsvo, or Russian Wealth. Roskoy Bogatsvo was a monthly magazine published in St. Petersburg from 1876 to mid-1918. In the early 1890s, it served as an organ of the liberal Norodniks. From 1906, it became an organ of the popular socialists. The Norodniks were a politically conscious movement of the Russian intelligentsia that began in the 1860s, many of whom opposed czarist rule. In early 1889, Bunin would move to Kharkiv, where he became a government clerk, then an assistant editor of a local paper, librarian, and court statistician. After a brief stint there, Ivan moved to Oryol to work on the local Orlovsky Vestnik newspaper, first as an editorial assistant, and soon after that, he became the full-time editor. 
This allowed Boonin to publish his short stories, poems, and reviews in the paper's literary section. While he was working on the newspaper, he fell madly in love with Varvara Pashchenko. So they would leave Oriol to settle in Poltava in the home of Ivan's older brother. Yuli would help Ivan get a job in the local Zemstvo administration. The Zemstvo was an institution of local government set up during the Great Emancipation Reform of 1861, carried out in Imperial Russia by Emperor Alexander II. The first Zemstvo laws went into effect in 1864. But of course, the Bolsheviks would shut down the Zemstvo when they came to power. In 1894, Bunin decided to tour Ukraine. In his own words, quote, Those were the times when I fell in love with Malorosaya, or Little Russia, its villages and steppes, was eagerly meeting its people and listening to Ukrainian songs, this country's very soul. After his tour of Ukraine, Bunin would meet Leo Tolstoy. So enamored of the famous author, Ivan would try to become enmeshed with his followers, trying to emulate Tolstoy's Spartan lifestyle. He would even get arrested for distributing some of Tolstoy's banned works. Luckily for Bunin, he would never serve time as a general amnesty was declared upon the coronation of Tsar Nicholas II. However, Tolstoy would warn Ivan to avoid, quote-unquote, total peasantification, which he felt that many of his followers had fallen into. In 1895, Ivan would visit St. Petersburg for the first time. He would befriend the Narodniks Nikolai Mihailovsky and Sergei Krivenko, along with Anton Chekhov, Alexander Ertel, and the poets Konstantin Balmont and Valery Bryusov. Bunin and Chekhov would develop a friendship that would last until Chekhov's death in 1904. Between 1895 and 1896, Ivan Bunin would split his time between St. Petersburg and Moscow. After that, he would travel all over Russia, wanting to get a feel of the people in the countryside. In 1898, he moved to Odessa, but Ivan only stayed there for a short while. In late 1899, he started attending the Shreda, or Wednesday, literary group in Moscow. Here, Ivan would hang out with some of the best authors in Russia. Bunin was not everyone's favorite, as he would rub people the wrong way. As Boris Konstantinovich Zaitsev remembers, quote, Bunin made everybody feel uncomfortable. Having got this severe and sharp eye for real art, feeling acutely the power of a word, he was full of hatred towards every kind of artistic excesses, and times when throwing pineapples to the sky was the order of the day, Bunin's very presence made his words stick in people's throats. In 1889, Bunin met Maxim Gorky. The two would become close friends initially, but that would sour after Bunin and Gorky realized that they had sharply different opinions about the Bolsheviks. Ivan would be a solid anti-Bolshevik, and while Gorky would initially be against them, he would eventually return to the, in the USSR in 1932. They would stop speaking or writing to each other for the rest of their lives. Beginning in 1900, Bunin's works, Poems and Stories, and Flowers of the Field were followed by Falling Leaves, 
Bunin's third book of poetry was published to rave reviews. He would also write a poem entitled Falling Leaves in the October 1900 issue of Zizhen, or Life magazine. For that poem, and along with his translation of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's The Song of Hiawatha, Ivan Bunin would win his first Pushkin Prize for literature. Bunin's personal life during the period between his marriage to Varvara Pashchenko in 1890 and 1905 was tumultuous, to say the least. Ivan and Pashchenko divorced a few years later after their wedding, as it became apparent early on the two of them were totally incompatible. In September 1898, Ivan would marry the 18-year-old Anna Sakaina, daughter of an NP, take a Greek social democrat activist, the publisher and editor of the Odessa newspaper, Southern Review. This marriage also would not end well. Within two years, they would realize they were not in love. Still, Anna would give birth to a son, Nikolai, in Odessa on August 30th, 1900. The boy, of whom his father saw very little, died on January 16th, 1905, from a combination of scarlet fever, measles, and heart uh, complications. The two would only get a divorce in 1922, despite Ivan trying to end their marriage legally over and over again. The reason he was so desperate to rid himself of Anna was that he had fallen in love again, this time with Vera Muromtseva, niece of a high-ranking politician, Sergei Muromtsev, who was the chairman of the first Imperial Duma in 1906. Their relationship was odd, as Ivan would have an affair with the Russian poet Galina Kuznetsova, which was accepted by Vera. She was rumored to be having an affair with Leonid Zurov, something that Ivan was also well aware of. In 2000, a film called His Wife's Diary was produced about Bunin. The plot was, quote, a tragic story of love and loneliness. This is the unknown life of the Russian writer Ivan Bunin. The love story involved Bunin, his wife Vera, the young poet Galina Plotnikova, opera singer Marga Kovtun, and literary man Leonid Gurov. It won the grand prize of the Kinotvar Festival and the 2000 Nika Award for Best Film, Best Male Actor, and Best Cinematography. In 1909, Poonin would win his second Pushkin Award for poems, 1903 to 1906, and translations of Lord Byron's Cain and parts of Longfellow's The Golden Legend. But it would be in 1910 that Ivan Bunin would produce what many believe is his most outstanding work, the short novel The Village. It was a bleak portrayal of Russian country life, which he depicted as full of stupidity, brutality, and violence. The book caused controversy and made him famous. The great work made Maxim Gorky proclaim that Bunin, quote, was the best Russian writer of the day. The Social Democrats and other liberals praised his work for showing the true nature of the life of the peasants of Russia. The intelligentsia and the nobility were appalled. Many would not believe that this was what life was like in the country start. Starting in December 1910, Bunin and Lord Seva would travel to the Middle East and Ceylon, which is present-day Sri Lanka. The trip would inspire Ivan to write the books 
brothers, the czar of czar city, and waters aplenty. In 1912, though, he would publish Dry Valley, another story about the harsh life of the typical Russian peasant. As with the village, the liberal left would love it, but the conservative right would be appalled. Nevertheless, it made Ivan's light shine brighter and brighter. With the onset of World War I, Bunin would grow increasingly concerned about the direction Russia was headed. He grew highly pessimistic about Russia's future. Still, he continued writing and publishing in the early years of the war. Bunin would release The Chalice of Life in 1915, and his most famous work, The Gentleman from San Francisco, which was translated into English by D.H. Lawrence. This short story was about a 58-year-old American from San Francisco who has acquired a great fortune and sets off with his wife and daughter on a world tour. He makes it to Naples, but the town and weather disappoint him. Off to Capri, where he suddenly dies in the lobby of a fancy hotel. The second half of the story is concerned with the change in the once deferential staff's attitude toward the deceased man and the dehumanizing way his body is treated as it makes its journey out of Italy. In 1916, Ivan Bunin suddenly stopped writing. He became so despondent about the millions of Russian men dying in the war that he became depressed. After the Tsar abdicated, Bunin felt even worse. By April 1917, he severed relations with Maxim Gorky due to his radical ideas. As I said before, they would never communicate again. With the Bolsheviks' tightening travel, it wasn't until May 21, 1918, that Bunin and Moritz obtained the official permission to leave Moscow for Kiev, and then continue their journey to Odessa. By 1919, Bunin was working for the Volunteer White Army as the editor of the cultural section of the anti-Bolshevik newspaper Luznoya Slovo. Finally, on January 26, 1920, the couple boarded the last French ship in Odessa and soon were in Constantinople. From there, they would spend a short time in Sofia, Bulgaria, and Belgrade, Yugoslavia. Then finally, on May 28th, 1920, they made it all the way to Paris, like the many Russian immigrants I mentioned in the series about what happened to the nobility after the Russian Revolution. Bunin, while totally against the Bolsheviks, was also totally against any foreign intervention. As he said to one of his friends, quote, It's for a common Russian countryman to sort out his problems for himself not for foreign masters to come and maintain their new order in our home. I'd rather die in exile than return home with the help of Poland or England. As my father taught me, love your own tub, even if it's broken up. Now, though he stressed about living in Paris, he began to write again. His first work was Scream, a compilation of short stories he wrote in 1911 and 1912. He was having difficulty dealing with his new environment, believing that he was best suited for, quote, the old world, that of Goncharov and Tolstoy, of Moscow and St. Petersburg, where his muse had been lost, never to be found again. In order to reconcile his situation in Paris with what was going on in Russia, Bunin wrote the following, quote, There was Russia, 
inhabited by a mighty family, which had been created by the blessed work of countless generations. What was then done to them? They paid for the disposal of the ruler with the destruction of literally the whole home and with unheard of fratricide. A bastard, a moral idiot from the birth, Lenin presented to the world at the height of his activities something monstrous, staggering. He discorded the largest country of the earth and killed millions of people. And in broad daylight, it is being disputed. Was he a benefactor of mankind or not? Once settled, Bunin produced Mitya's Love in 1924, Sunstroke in 1925, and Coronet Yelagin's Case. Then, Ivan would write his only long novel between 1927 and 1939, The Life of Arseniev. It was a fictional work that used autobiographical memories of Bunin's life. It was released in five volumes between 1932 and 1939. His subsequent work, Cursed Days, was a condemnation of the Bolsheviks. It would be banned in Russia until the late 1980s. Bunin scholar Thomas Gayton Marullo wrote about the book that, quote, in its painful exposing of political and social utopias, heralded the anti-utopian writing of George Orwell and Aldous Huxley. Bunin and Zamyatin had correctly understood that the Soviet experiment was destined to self-destruct. A prophetic book that would launch Bunin into the stratosphere of world literature. From here, Bunin would be considered the voice of the expatriates from Russia. He would be their moral and artistic spokesperson. This would eventually lead him to become the first Russian to win a Nobel Prize in Literature in 1933. In his speech to the audience at the ceremony, to present him with the prestigious award, Bunin said, quote, Overwhelmed by the congratulations and telegrams that began to flood me, I thought in the solitude and silence of night about the profound meaning and the choice of the Swedish Academy. For the first time since the founding of the Nobel Prize, you have awarded it to an exile. Who am I in truth? An exile enjoying the hospitality of France, to whom I likewise owe an eternal debt of gratitude. But, gentlemen of the Academy, let me say that irrespective of my person and my work, your choice in itself is a gesture of great beauty. It is necessary that there would be centers of absolute independence in the world. No doubt, all differences of opinion, of philosophical and religious creeds, are represented around this table. But we are united by one truth, the freedom of thought and conscience, to this freedom we owe civilization. For us writers, especially, freedom is a dogma and an axiom. Your choice, gentlemen of the Academy, has proved once more that in Sweden, the love of liberty is truly a national cult. With some of the money he received from the Nobel Committee, Bunin donated it to a literary charity, which caused him to be shunned by some of his Russian compatriots. He and his wife would move to the mountain region of Grasse in France with the coming of the Nazi invasion. Bunin was a strong anti-fascist, calling Mussolini and Hitler rabid monkeys. 
And this is where it becomes amazing about Ivan Bunin's life, which I told you in the last episode would just blow you away. In his home, he hid Jews and Soviet soldiers who had escaped a nearby prison. This was perilous to him and the other writers who were staying there, as the Nazi headquarters were only a few hundred meters away. It was also a tough time as food was scarce. Now wife Vera remembered that, quote, there were five or six of us, and we were all writing continuously. This was the only way for us to bear the unbearable, to overcome hunger, cold, and fear. In May 1945, Vera and Ivan returned to their home in Paris. Aside from a few stays in Juan Le Pin in the south of France near Nice, this would be their permanent home for Bunin and for the rest of his life. Stalin wanted Bunin to return to the Soviet Union, but Bunin, while intrigued, decided against it. As he put it, quote, It is hard for an old man to go back to places where he's pranced goat-like in better times. Friends and relatives are all buried. That, for me, would be a graveyard trip. Negotiations continued until Bunin published his book, Memoirs. It was a scathing indictment of Soviet cultural life. Six months before he died in 1953, Bunin wrote the following in his diary. Quote, Still, this is so dumbfoundingly extraordinary. In a very short while, there will be no more of me, and of all the things worldly, of all the affairs and destinies. From then on, I will be unaware. And what I'm left to do here is dumbly try to conspicuously impose upon myself fear and amazement. On November 8th, 1953, Bunin passed away. On January 30th of the following year, Bunin was buried in the St. Geneva des Bois Russian Cemetery. The legacy he left behind was as great as any Russian writer. It was said that, quote, Bunin's style heralds a historical precedent. Technical precision as an instrument of bringing out beauty is sharpened to the extreme. There's hardly another poet who on dozens of pages would fail to produce a single epithet analogy, or metaphor. The ability to perform such a simplification of poetic language without doing any harm to it is the sign of a true artist. When it comes to artistic precision, Bunin has no rivals among Jewish or Russian poets. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time as we cover the life of another great Russian writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So, as always, das vidanya is pasibo bolshoya.